Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. In our 10-part series entitled, Because Jesus is Lord, we're exploring the practical ways in which the Lordship of Jesus impacts our everyday lives. We hope you enjoy, and you can check out more at churchinthecity.us. Morning, everyone. Great to see you all again, and excited, as Chris said, just what a an amazing time of worship we just enjoyed, wasn't it? Those are the times that uh, every, every Sunday is an incredible Sunday to worship God. I don't ever want us to gauge our worship experience on what we receive. Although God does pour out stuff in our hearts, we mustn't think, well, that was a, a phenomenal Sunday, as great as the Sunday was, but then, you know, it, because we, we receive. No, every time we get together to worship God, to lift up, his vo- uh, up our voice and honor Him, is a great Sunday and a great opportunity for us to worship Him. Um, we, we had the great privilege of uh, marrying Mark and Kelly Duncan uh, yesterday. Many of you will, will know who they are. Um, we went out down south to Streeter, Illinois, in the middle of the cornfields, and uh, um, there was actually a roof over our heads, but uh, out in the middle of nowhere and married them. It was a wonderful, wonderful um, occasion. Just a little, quick little funny story. Um, I had never met Kelly's dad before and uh, went up to him afterwards um, just to say thank you. And uh, music was playing and my South African accent. And I, I leaned over and I shook his hand and I said, it was lovely to meet you. And he paused for a moment and he went, uh, I love you too. Um, so right now, Kelly's dad thinks that I love him. Um, I trust that he knows that I love him in the Lord and no, no other way. <laughs> um, one last announcement before we get into the word. Nate's, uh, Nate this weekend is preaching um, at a church in Leesburg, Free Life Church. is a church that we've been partnering with for about 10 years or so. Clayton Grenfell has taken that church over from his dad. Many of you will know Ken. Uh, so Nate is out there this weekend doing some training with, uh, with uh, the worship team, and he's actually preaching this Sunday. So, Lord, we just uh, thank you for this incredible uh, morning that we've had so far. And I pray, Lord God, that what we get into this morning would not uh, deviate from what you've already started, but I pray that it would be the, the crossing of the T or, or the dotting of the I to, to what you are already writing into our hearts, Lord God. I pray, thank you, um, Holy Spirit, that you are just so, so tangibly at work right now, um, just ministering your love and your goodness to so many of us. And, and I just pray, Father God, that, that each and every one of us here this morning would leave here today knowing that you have, have said or ministered to or, or touched us in some way. Um, Lord, we, we love what we can do, but we love even more what you can do, only what you can do. And that's what we are just so desiring of this morning, Lord Jesus, is just to know your touch and to know your, your ministry in our hearts. And, and so to that end, Lord God, we just come yielded, we just come submitted, and we just come hungry to, to hear from you and to just receive what you, you have already started here this morning. Um, and so we pray in Jesus' name for that. Amen. Amen. So earlier this week, I was listening to a sermon that a friend of mine was preaching on discipleship. And um, during that sermon, he referenced the story of uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus. I'm sure many of you are familiar. Perhaps if you're not, let me just read a few verses um, out of Luke chapter 19. It's this uh, a- a- account where Jesus is coming into Jericho. And it says in, verse, in uh, Luke chapter 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. 
but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And then what my friend did was he asked this incredibly profound question, which has been kind of bothering me and um, perplexing me throughout this week. And I think it's a a wonderful uh, introduction or summary even of the things that we are trying to achieve through this new series that we are starting. My friend asked this question. He said, did Zacchaeus come down from the tree because Jesus said, come down immediately? Or Or did Zacchaeus come down from the tree because Jesus said, Zacchaeus? And that's the, I think, just a wonderful summary, or it captures the heart of what we're trying to achieve through this new preaching series that we're starting today. The preaching series is called Because Jesus is Lord. And we are kind of essentially asking two main questions in this series. The first one is, what does that mean, Jesus is Lord? What is the what are the implications? We, we use that phrasing often. We, we, we use that statement often, because Jesus is Lord. But what does it actually mean? The second question that we kind of after is, is how does the kingdom of God impact my life on a daily basis? I think we have this idea that the kingdom of God is this nebulous concept, but it doesn't really have any impact in our lives. And hopefully over the next 11 weeks, we're going to be able to show you, show us, learn together How does the kingdom of God tangibly, practically uh, impact the way that I live my life day to day? And so my job this morning is not to answer those two questions. My job this morning is to set the series up because we're going to take the next 10 to 11 weeks to to answer those two specific questions. So let's jump right in. And uh, first, I want to begin by just asking the question, what is the kingdom of God? It's something that I think we we, we need to frame the series. We need to frame you know, the start of the series by answering that question, what is the kingdom of God? I think often when we, when we think about God's kingdom, when we think about a kingdom, we think about a particular place. We think about a, a place where a king or a queen is ruling. It's a, it's a land or it's a region or it's a territory. The United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland is one that I'm sure every one of you are, are, are aware of. I'm actually uh, used to be a citizen there. I'm now a citizen of the great kingdom of the United States of America, which is not a kingdom at all, but anyway. <laughs> but, but what's interesting is that Scripture does not refer to a kingdom as a place. It's not the primary way that Scripture refers to a kingdom. When we read of things like the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, um, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is not talking about a particular place, but he's talking about a, a reign or a rule or a dominion or an influence or the effect of that king ruling in that particular place. And it's important that we hold that at hand. So the kingdom of God is the reign and the rule of Jesus. It's the, it's the extent of Jesus' lordship and the extent of his influence. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules, his his reign rules or extends over everything. 
It's actually a good practice if you are reading the New Testament, when you come across the word kingdom, in your mind to substitute that word for reign or rule. Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus said, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus began to preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Substitute in your mind, the reign and the rule of Jesus is at hand. The kingdom of God, secondly, is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. And it's characterized, as the book of Romans teaches us, it's characterized by righteousness, peace, and joy. Can I say, friends, the kingdom of God is not a theological concept. The kingdom of God is not a a philosophy. The kingdom of God is not a matter of debate. The kingdom of God is is the practical, tangible, real effect of Jesus' reign and rule in our lives. And the kingdom of God manifests in us, or it manifests through us, to the extent that you and I, our families and this church, are prepared to submit ourselves or surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. We get to experience His righteousness, peace, and joy. We get to experience His life. We get to experience His power as we submit ourselves to His authority. It's obvious for us to think about things like salvation or healing as very tangible, very visible ways that the kingdom of God advances. But can I say, the moment we do what Chris and Hugh was encouraging us to, to submit our finances, for example, under Jesus' rule, or submit our parenting, or submit our relationships under Jesus' rule, we can experience the tangible presence of God in those areas just as much as when salvation or healing takes place. We experience the righteousness and the peace and the joy that come by the Holy Spirit, Friends, every one of us know who are believers in Jesus, yes, we are righteous, but that too is an experience. I want to experience the righteousness of God, the right standing that we have with God, and that comes when we submit ourselves to his authority. The wisdom of the kingdom is not the wisdom of the world. Again, finances. The wisdom of the world with regards to finances is income and expenditure. The, in, the, the, the wisdom of heaven when it comes to finances, the kingdom of God, is what? Sowing and reaping. I'm just using that, that as an example of how the kingdom is so contrary to the ways of the world. And then lastly, the kingdom of God is the central message of Jesus Christ. And I've referenced this already three or four times, but Matthew 4, 17, it says, From that time, as Jesus came out of the desert having been tempted by the devil and and achieved victory. He came out and from that time, he began to to preach, he began to teach, repent for the kingdom of God, for the reign and rule of God is at hand. John the Baptist, interestingly enough, preached that same message in Matthew chapter three. But what John the Baptist was saying about the kingdom of God being at hand was very different to what Jesus was meaning. Imagine one of your friends is coming over to visit today and they're coming from out of town, maybe from, from the West Coast. What John the Baptist was referring to was something like your friend arriving at O'Hare. They've landed in the vicinity. They're getting close. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus meant something altogether different. Jesus meant something like your friend has now got off the 1994. They've driven west along division. They've gone through these front doors and they're sitting right next to you now. The kingdom of God is at hand, friends. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is not just in the vicinity of where we are. The kingdom of God is right here, tangible for us to enjoy and experience. 
I think a more important question, though, that we have to ask and answer is not just what is the kingdom, but who is this king? Who is this king? And we know this king to be Jesus. And I want to very quickly just walk us through two little passages of Scripture just to celebrate, and we've done that already so wonderfully today, to celebrate the person of Jesus that is the king of this kingdom. If you can, uh, turn with me in, in in the Bible to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to just read a passage of Scripture. It'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible. But uh, Colossians chapter 1, and I think it's verse 15. I love this passage. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Mark read that this morning at the prayer meeting, I think. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is, is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus is not just some coincidental lookalike. Jesus is the exact representation or the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. He has the highest and most unique rank in all of creation. Verse 16, for in him all things were created. Jesus created all things and Jesus sustains all things by the power of his word. That's the king of kings that we serve. The one who speaks things and things happen. He, uh, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Jesus' name is the name above every name. And at that name, friends, one day, one day, every celebrity, every single famous person, every monarch on this, on this earth will bow their knee to the name above every single name. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. There was nothing before God. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He's holding creation together in the palm of his hand. And he is the head of the church. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. That's the king that we serve. That's the reign and rule that we want to see in our lives. But the passage I want us to spend a bit more time on is a passage in the book of Isaiah. So again, if you've got a Bible, flick over if you can to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, just after Psalms. Um, It is, isn't it? Yes, it is. Just after Psalms. Isaiah chapter 9, if you can turn there quickly. Let me just find my way. They teach you in preaching class that you need to have these these uh, Bible references um, marked so you can turn there quickly. So I failed the preaching class right here. But um, Isaiah, and I'm the one who teaches the preaching class, so that's a bit of a concern. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says this. Listen to this verse. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, the kingdom of God, the reign of God will rest upon his shoulders, will be on his shoulders. And listen to this. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Friends, I think if there is, if there is something we need to teach the, the city, if there's something we need to teach our friends and family in, 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 in those that we know in the city, it's this verse, that Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor. Jesus is the Mighty God. Jesus is the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. In a world that is so desperately seeking answers, and, and, and right now, the, the, those questions that we are asking right now are around issues of race and, and, and inequality and poverty. But can I just say, uh, throughout history, there's always been kind of the topic of the day, the questions of the day. 
in a world where there are always questions, this side of eternity, there will always be questions. Can I say this, friends, that Jesus was, Jesus is, and Jesus will always be the wonderful counselor, the one who is able to answer and provide insight and understanding. Colossians chapter 2 says, In him, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Romans 11, Paul writes this beautiful prayer. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. The wonderful thing about Jesus being wonderful counselor, the wonderful thing about knowing Jesus is when we search for answers, we're not doing some sort of an academic study. But actually, as we search for answers, it's Jesus that we end up finding. We end up discovering and experiencing more of him. It's like being given a, a, a paper to write on Shakespeare's sonnets. And most of us would go to a library and, and kind of bury our, ourselves in books and, and come up with this kind of intellectual understanding. But imagine if you had the opportunity to sit next to Shakespeare and, and just hear him explain why he said, Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more fair and more temperate, isn't it, Brittany? Is that how it goes? I don't know. But imagine, James, thou art more fair and more temperate. You're not more fair and temperate at all. But, but you get my point. It's, it's not, it's, when, we, when we're seeking knowledge, when we're seeking wisdom, we're not going into this as an intellectual, cold, academic study. We're coming into the presence of the King of Kings and saying, God, what is on your heart? And we end up discovering more of him. This side of eternity, there will always be questions that won't be answered. That's the reality. And it doesn't always make sense logically. But can I say, if we know Jesus, it'll always make sense relationally. What I mean by that is even if we don't fully understand the answers, we know this, that Jesus is the one who does understand, and we can love and trust him always. And can I just say one last thing? Don't give that privilege away. The privilege that you have to access the presence of Jesus, the privilege that you have to find wisdom from Jesus himself. Don't give that away to a friend. Don't give that away to a, to a preacher online. Don't even give that away to any of the elders here. Yes, we need to find wisdom in the counsel of many, but our first privilege and priority for every one of us is that we can access the presence of Jesus to find wisdom for the situations that we find. The second thing that we see in Isaiah chapter 9 is that Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus has won, and I feel like every verse I'm, or every point I'm making, it's stuff that we sung this morning, which is so wonderful. But Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus has, has achieved victory over sin and Satan and over death and over sickness. His name is the name above every name. I love how Mark introduces the ministry of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, right away, uh, Jesus goes into the synagogue at Capernaum, and he, and he drives out the demon of, of, of the man in the synagogue, and the, and the place is shocked. The place is, is, is coming unglued because Jesus has displayed his authority. But I think what Mark was trying to do in doing that is showing us right away what Jesus' intent is. Jesus is showing us who the enemy is, friends. The enemy is not one another. The enemy is the devil. He's showing us who has the victory. Jesus has won the victory. And he's, and he's displaying to us, showing us what he's come to do. He's come to destroy the works of the devil. This is paramount in us understanding this concept of the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God comes, the reign and rule of the devil diminishes. 
It's this clash of, of, of the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of darkness. But can I say, it's not an equal fight. God has already achieved the victory. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus tells this wonderful parable, which I think is so instrumental in us understanding the concept of the kingdom of God. Jesus explains, he says, it's impossible for anyone to go into a strong man's house and to, and to take the, the, the possessions of that strong man unless that strong man is first bound up. And friends, that's in essence what the kingdom of God is all about. Jesus has come and he has bound up the strong man. He's bound up Satan so that we can go in and, and take back what is, or what is actually belonging to us. I don't want to be frivolous and light, but I was racking my brains for an illustration. And the best I could come up, come up with was Robin Hood and his merry men. And please, I'm not trying to be irreligious or inappropriate, but, but I think that's a wonderful illustration. The, the sheriff of Nottingham is like Satan who has come to plunder the belongings of, of, of the average people. And Jesus is like Robin Hood, and we're like the band of merry men who come along with Jesus. Amen. We come along with Jesus. And, and, we, and, and, the, and the strong man, Robin Hood, binds up the strong man, binds up the sheriff of Nottingham. We take back what is belonging to us, and we give it back to God's people. That's the plan and purpose of God. That's what God has come to do as, as he advances his kingdom. Friends, one of the greatest privileges we have is not just ourselves understanding the authority we have in Jesus, but helping other people come out from that oppressive, cruel, uh, harsh rule of Satan and bring them under the loving, gracious, merciful rule of Jesus. If you don't know the story of the book of Exodus, can I say, give yourself a, a, some homework, or maybe I can assign you some homework. Take a few weeks to study the first few chapters of the book of Exodus, because it foreshadows the very plan and purpose of God to come and rescue his people from the oppressive rule of Pharaoh. Jesus, uh, God, God's cry throughout the book of Exodus is this, let my people go so that they may worship me. That's the cry of the Father. And it remains today, friends. There are people in our city who are bound up by Pharaoh. And God's heart is to set them free so that they can worship him. God says to Moses in Exodus 3, he says, I've seen the misery of my people. I'm sorry. I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out. Oh. I prayed for a tender heart this morning. I maybe shouldn't have. <laughs> oh. I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out. And I'm concerned about their suffering. Friends, this is the God that we serve. He hasn't changed. His heart is for the people of our city who are bound up and broken. And just as he said to Pharaoh, just as he said to Moses, he's saying to us, so I've come down to rescue them. And then he says this, so now you go. I'm sending you to bring my people out. That's the mission. That's the call. That's the purpose why you and I are here in this city that we can go 
and rescue God's people from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh. Jesus, thirdly, is the everlasting Father. I think so many of us in our city know about the neverlasting fathers. You know that one-third of this nation lives in homes without, without fathers? And that's just re- representing the physically absent. But what about the emotionally absent father? And it's, it's just released destruction in our nation. Aaron prayed about it, and Vanessa shared it this morning. The heart of the father. I think God's heart, father heart is so obviously here this morning. Wanting to just remind us this, that, that his promise is he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never leave us. He will never, listen to this, he will never leave us. Do you understand what that means? That God says, I will never remove my presence from you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never fail you. I will never let you down. Jesus is the everlasting father and Jesus is the prince of peace. I don't want to take time to comment on that. Nathan James did an outstanding job on that at the end of last year. But Ephesians chapter two says, Jesus is our peace and has destroyed the dividing, dividing wall of hostility. What typically divides us, we find unity in Jesus Christ. But the challenge that we face as we speak around this thing of the kingdom, I've spoken about the kingdom of God being at hand. The challenge that we face as we, as we discuss over these next 11 weeks about the kingdom is the reality that God has also said to us that we need to pray for God's kingdom to come. And so we have this incredible kind of tension, this incredible apparent paradox, this, this, these two things that are kind of clashing. God's kingdom is at hand, but yet we're also told to pray the kingdom of God down. Matthew, uh, 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 the early chapters of Matthew, I think it's chapter 6, or I might forget, but the Lord's Prayer, let your will be done, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And, and friends, that's, just not, that's not just a theological debate. I'm pretty sure every single person here kind of understands something of that tension or that wrestle between uh, those times when we experience the, the closeness of God, those times when we experience the, 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 the tangible presence of God, and yet those times when God seems so far away. Or those times when we, when we see the power of God moving and, and people getting radically healed and we go to other people and pray with the same amount of faith or even more faith and they don't get healed. And how do we, how do we kind of make sense of all of this? John Cox and I were having burgers on Wednesday and sitting outside the Apple store praying and literally kind of lamenting over this particular issue. How, Lord, how, how are we going to see more of your kingdom come? It is this wrestle of of. of, of trying to understand, you know, is it at hand or is it still to come? Since the Second World War, I think people have tried to use the Second World War as a metaphor for trying to come to grips with what this all means. And, and I think there is some, some sense in it. In, in D-Day, most of you will probably know, I think it was in May uh, 1944 when the Allied forces invaded the beaches of Normandy and, and basically at that time cut the head off the German army. And, but it was still an entire year that had to, they had to wait an entire year before the German army eventually surrendered. Victory Day. I think that was in May 1945. And there were times in that year when the, the soldiers on the ground still wondered whether the German army was fighting. Still wondered whether the German army had the upper hand. But the generals who were kind of overseeing the army understood and knew that the victory had been achieved. It was just a matter of time until that final victory was cemented. 
I think a way better illustration is, uh, is what my uncle used to do on his farm back in South Africa. He was a sugarcane farmer. And uh, what he used to do was he also used to raise chickens. And uh, <laughs> so what he would do when we were having a chicken dinner that night is he would take a chicken earlier in the day and he would wring the chicken's neck. And he would, but then he would have fun and he'd actually let the chicken go. And I don't know if you know this, but because a chicken, uh, most of its body functions are controlled by its brain stem, not its head, a chicken can actually run around for a couple of minutes without its head on uh, before it dies. And so what he'd do is he'd wring this chicken's neck and let it go, and this chicken would run around like crazy, and then eventually, like two or three minutes later, it would just go, dunk, and fall over. <laughs> now, fun, fun illustration, but friends, can I just, <laughs> can I say... Can I say that's what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection on the cross. He's cut the, de- he's cut the devil's head off. Jesus' death and resurrection has cut the devil's head off. And all that Satan is doing is, is trying to get his final last gasps of breath before the final victory comes. We have the victory. <laughs> You're never going to forget that illustration. I guarantee it. And that's good. That's the point. Friends, don't forget that illustration. Jesus has won the victory. Jesus has cut the devil's head off at the cross. And we need to live like it. We need to live like it, friends. And I say that to myself as much as I say that to you. But what do we do while we wait? What do we do while we wait for this final victory to come? Amen. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Very good. What do I say now? How do I get serious after that, Brittany? Hey? (laughs) Okay, we don't barbecue the chicken, but I want to get... I want to get, I've got, I've got seven minutes left, so I want to get really practical for the next couple, couple minutes, seven minutes. Is what, what do we do? What, what do we do while we wait, while we wait for this mustard seed to grow? Remember Jesus says the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It, 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 it's small, it's, 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 it's planted in the ground, but one day it'll grow to become this massive tree. What do we do while we wait for the final victory? And I want to borrow a phrase that I, that I found in a Eugene Peterson book, and it's this, we need to learn long obedience in the same direction. We need to learn long obedience in the same direction. And as I read that, I actually found out what what Eugene Peterson's editor said in response to that book title. He said this, obedience is a dull word. Obedience and the idea of tenacity and perseverance doesn't fit the ambience of contemporary American culture. And I want to say, friends, right there, that's the problem. Obedience, friends, is a kingdom word. Obedience is a word that is rooted in the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. But friends, it's not an obedience of some autocratic, harsh, dictatorial God. It's obedience to a loving, gracious, merciful, kind God whose heart is to set his people free. That's the obedience. So I go back to my original question. When Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Why did Zacchaeus come down? Did he come down because Jesus called him by name? Or did he come down because the Lord of all said, come down immediately? And I want to say the answer is both. It's both because Jesus knew him by name. But Jesus also, the Lord of all, said, come down immediately. Obedience to the King of Kings 
and the Lord of Lords. So let's, let's look at that very quickly. Four little things, four little practical things that we can take with us as we go from this place. What does obedience in the same direction look like? First point, we need to engage the world immediately around us. We need to engage the world immediately around us because if we don't, the kingdom of God becomes abstract. Something that we read about, something that we enjoy talking about, but nothing gets advanced and no lives get changed. And can I say, friends, as much as we want to see the release of the kingdom in here, it becomes equally abstract unless we are prepared to take it out into the world, unless we're prepared to love those around us. Those of you who are in the restaurant industry, uh, Louis, uh, Leanne is here. Sustainable and local. Those are the two kind of hot phrases at the moment. Sustainable food and local food. And I want to say, Jesus has been doing sustainable and local f- from the beginning of time. He honestly has. The Father, John chapter 20, 21, sent Jesus into, and Jesus sends us in the same way. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. God sent Jesus into a family. God sent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, born into a poor family, living in a village. Jesus had to work as a carpenter. Think about that, those of you who want to be in full-time ministry. Jesus had to work as a carpenter and had to find kingdom significance in the mundane things that, 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 that life throws at him. And yet he was able to do that. Why? Because the the kingdom of God comes into a time and place. The kingdom of God is not some abstract theology. The kingdom of God is to be advanced here in the city through my life and through yours. It's great for us to, to listen and hear what God is doing elsewhere in the world. But friends, the most important question for you and me because of where you live is what is God doing here? We can so focus on what God is doing there and miss out on what God is doing here. And so I challenge you, I challenge myself this morning, get involved in your school if you're a student. If you're a parent at a, at, at, at a kid's, and, and your kids go to school, find ways to get involved there. Do you know your barista's name at Starbucks? Do you know the name of the lady who you drop off your laundry to? Find ways to make the kingdom of God real and tangible. The second thing I want to say, the second point, we need to make this personal. We need to make this personal. Do you remember the story when John the Baptist was thrown in in, in jail and he says, he sends out his disciples to Jesus and he says, Jesus, are you the one who who, who, who we were were waiting for or do we need to wait for another? And Jesus sends back John's disciples with this message. He says, the blind received sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. But here's my point. Those people had names. The blind people who were healed had names. The dead who were raised had families. The lame had dreams and desires. And I want to say, friends, we've got to make the kingdom of God practical and personal. We've got to know the names of the people that we're called to reach. We've got to know their dreams. We've got to know their stories. Otherwise, I don't think we have any right to minister to them. Unless we're prepared to get to know them as people. They're not our projects. Friends, it has to be personal out there. But it also has to be personal in here. And I say this, I challenge us all. What has God put on your heart to do? Don't sit there and say, what is the church going to do? Because I'm going to say right back at you, what has God put on your heart to do? 
And I say that with love and grace. What has God gripped your heart for? How has God gotten hold of your heart to advance the kingdom? Where has God placed you today so that you can advance the kingdom of God? It's got to become personal. Thirdly, we nearly finished. Thirdly, we need to intentionally nurture the fruit of the kingdom. Now, this is a phrase that we came up with as a preaching team. Those of us who are going to be preaching this series, we came up with this phrase, the fruit of the kingdom. It's not a biblical phrase, but it's borrowed from Galatians chapter 5. Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. And what we're going to do over the next 11 weeks is we're going to talk about the fruits of the kingdom. Practical, tangible things that you and I can do to make sure to see the kingdom of God manifesting itself in and through our lives. I was going to comment on each one, but I don't have time. So I'm just going to quickly run through them by name. Rachel, if you're uh, running this, the the media behind me. Just run through them quickly. These are the things we're going to speak about over the next few weeks. Love, grace, faith, obedience, accountability, faithfulness, honor, thanksgiving, and the power of God. And I want to put put it out as a challenge to us. Nurture the fruit of the kingdom. Lastly, we need to be patient and tenacious while we do this kingdom stuff. We need to be patient and tenacious while we do this kingdom stuff. Unfortunately, there are no quick fixes. Unfortunately, there's no easy answer. There's no click our fingers and things are going to get sorted out. We need to be tenacious and we need to be patient. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. I mentioned that earlier. The mustard seed is small. It's planted in the ground. We might not even see it yet being manifest, but God's promise is this, that that mustard seed will eventually grow to become the biggest tree in the garden to which all the birds and animals will be able to come and find food and find shelter. The kingdom of God is advancing, but we need to be patient and we need to be tenacious. I want to end with a quote from the voyage of the door treader. (laughs) Reaper Cheap was the chief mouse who sails with uh, Prince Caspian, and they sail on the dawn treader, making their way towards Aslan's country, which is where the sun rises, towards the east. And he says this, I love this, if this could be our attitude. My own plans are made. While I can, I will sail east in the dawn treader. If she fails me, I will paddle east in my coracle, which is like a small life raft. If she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And if I can swim no longer... If I have not yet reached Aslan's country, I shall sink with my nose set to the sunrise. I pray we will be those kind of people. In this time where we're not maybe seeing the the breakthroughs that we would like to see, I pray we would not be those people who would give up easily. I pray we would be those people who will set our noses towards heaven. And we will keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And I pray that we would be willing to endure that too. At times facing the scorn of the world around us. At at times facing the confusion because we're not seeing the breakthrough that we want to see. But I pray and trust that we would push on and press on. Because why? Jesus has won the victory. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. I don't know how to end this morning, Lord. And so I just want to ask, Father, for your heart to just invade ours if it hasn't already, Father. I thank you that you've just been speaking your Father's heart to us throughout this morning. And Lord, we just, we surrender ours to yours. We say, Lord, would you, if there is anything in this heart of mine 
or ours that is of the world or that is of, of the flesh. Lord, we just pray, would you rip it out and replace it with your heart, your tenderness, your kindness, your compassion, your faithfulness, your goodness. Thank you, Father, that your cry over the city is that you want to set your people free so that they can worship you. And I thank you, Father, that you have privileged us with the opportunity to be sent by you to go and rescue them. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we would be willing to do that. Lord, we we say in a fresh way, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Not, Not send Chris or not send Vanessa or not send whoever, but Lord, here I am. Send me. Send me. If, can I ask if, if you, if just, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want hands or anything. I don't need to see. But can I just say, if that's your cry, can I ask you just to pray that prayer? Lord, here I am. Send me. Send me, Lord. Send me. Send me to the city. Send me to, the, to, 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 to my neighborhood. Send me, Lord God, to see your kingdom come. Send me, Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you for all that you've done this morning. Thank you that you've just been so impacting our hearts. We love you. We worship you, Jesus, our King, our Lord, our Savior. We pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can always check out more podcasts at churchinthecity.us.